0: Donald
1: Ware. You're locked into the dopest show on radio. From the press box to press row, I am your host, Donald Ware. March Madness is in full effect. It is Sweet 16 slash Elite 8. Weekend, And we'll talk, you know, we'll talk a little March Madness today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. A couple of things I want to get to on the program. And let me set the table in terms of our guests today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Joining us a little bit later on in this segment, Jose Vasquez is the head baseball coach at Alabama State. He's going to join us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. We're also going to talk some NBA on the program. Mike Wallace, the senior editor of Grind City Media, going to join us today here on the program. Got a lot to get to with Mike as we're really days away from the start, maybe a couple of weeks or so away from the start of the NBA playoffs. And you got teams that are jockeying for position, particularly in the Eastern Division. And I'll tell you what, those bottom teams, when you're talking about like Orlando and You're talking about Charlotte and some of those other teams. They're only separated by like two and a half games with like six, seven, eight games remaining. So we got a lot to talk with in terms of the NBA with Mike Wallace, the senior editor of Grind City Media. The National Football League has implemented a change in its rules, whereas pass interference can now be reviewed a call or a non call. Can now be reviewed in the National Football League. I got some thoughts on that. I think I alluded to this a little bit um, during the uh, the NFC Championship game or after the NFC Championship game, and gave you some of my thoughts with respect to that. And I mean, I, I guess you had to figure that they were going to implement some kind of rule, but for it to be specific to pass interference, I think is definitely interesting and something that we're going to talk about today here on the program. Also, Rob Gronkowski, Gronk, retired. And uh, listen, I'll tell you what. I don't think there's anybody that had much more fun over the course of their career and really lived life like Rob uh, Gronkowski did, the Gronk. And so he's retiring. And I've got some thoughts on that. I mean, I think... Gronk is definitely a hall of famer. Um, I don't think there's any question about that, at least in my mind, I've heard some say that is he really a, a hall of Famer? I mean, I think he definitely is. I mean, I think the question would be, is he a first ballot hall of famer? I mean, you could debate that. I mean, if you're talking about tight ends of his era, I mean, he's the most dominating tight end. And I think when you look at, so the thing is there are 10 currently 10 tight ends In the National Football League Hall of Fame, which does not include, of course, Tony Gonzalez. When his time comes, he's going to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, But I would also say that another Patriots tight end should also be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Before there was Rob Gronkowski, there was Ben Coates, who I don't think gets enough of The recognition that he deserves for what he was able to do during the 90s, of course, towards the latter part of his career. As a matter of fact, his last year in the National Football League with the Baltimore Ravens won a Super Bowl on that team. And so we're going to talk more about that. Uh, The Gronk, certainly a Hall of Famer, but shouldn't Ben Coates, who played his collegiate football at Livingstone, be in the Pro Football Hall of Famer? uh, In the Pro Football Hall of Famer, we're going to talk about that today here on the program join us why don't you hear on from the press box to press row always love you to participate hit us up via twitter at box to row b-o-x-t-o-r-o-w and on instagram b-o-x-t-o-r-o-w or on facebook b-o-x the number two r-o-w thank you to our wonderful affiliates around the country that carry from the press box to press row for instance WJXY, rejoice, 103.5 FM and 1200 AM out of the Myrtle Beach area. I mean, you can listen to us at Myrtle Beach and Atlantic Beach and Conway, um, just a bunch of Tabor City, North Carolina. It gives us another uh, North Carolina connection. Uh, I tell you what, uh, we're so grateful for that radio station that carries from the press box to press row. So many great radio stations, KGRM um, there in Grambling in northern Louisiana is a great uh, affiliate that carries from the Press Box to Press Row. If you look at Montgomery, Alabama, WXVI uh, carries the program. Those that listen to us on SiriusXM, channels 141 and 142, and those that listen to us around the world at BoxToRow.com. Ben Coates should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Before, there was Rob Gronkowski, uh, 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 the Gronk, particularly when you're talking about the New England Patriots, there was Ben Coates. And if you, know, I think sometimes, I mean, we can look at numbers. And again, I I always say this, especially when it comes to pro sports, I use numbers in support of an argument. And if I look at the numbers of Ben Coates, 499 receptions for 5,555 yards and 50 touchdowns, throughout the course of his career. If and if I look at some of the numbers of some of the other pro football hall of famers, um, for instance, let, us just run down the tight ends that are in the, uh, pro football hall of fame. Um, you're talking about Jackie Smith, John Mackey, Mike Ditka, Shannon Sharp, Charlie Sanders, Dave Casper, Ozzy Newsome, Kellen Winslow. um, I mean, those are some, I mean, especially when you're talking about like Kellen Winslow and Ozzie Newsom, I mean, those were really no brainers. I think Dave Casper was absolutely tremendous. One of the reasons that Kenny Stabler ultimately got into the pro football hall of fame, a lot of, uh, uh, just a lot of good, uh, combinations between, uh, and good play. I should say between Casper and, uh, the snake Kenny Stabler. But I mean, You know, Rob Gronkowski, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But when I look at what Ben Coates was able to do throughout the course of his career, number one, he was part of the all-90s. He was part of the 90s all-decade team. That should tell you something right there. I ran the numbers down to you. First team, all-pro twice. Five-time pro bowler um, during his time. And I ran the numbers down to you. You know, I think that... Uh, you know, Gronk is definitely a pro football Hall of Famer, but I also think that uh, Ben Coach should be there as well. Going to have to table the conversation. We'll talk more about this a little bit later on in the program. Let's talk some college baseball here on from the press box to press row. And joining us is a gentleman in his third season as the head baseball coach at Alabama State. The Hornets are 14 and 13 on the season, coming off a nice win against Jacksonville State on Saturday on the road, 9-5. to And as a matter of fact, they're going to be on the road again this weekend for a three-game series with Mississippi Valley State. Jose Vaquez, Vasquez joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Coach Vasquez, welcome back to the program.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How you been doing? You
1: doing okay? I'm, hey, listen, I'm, I'm glad you asked. Been doing pretty good. Can't complain too much. And, um, yeah, you know it's been a little little while since we've talked with you, but again, three seasons now in your third season. um, I wanna get your thoughts on the season to this point as you guys are stand at fourteen and thirteen.
2: Well, you know what we we um we came in with uh with the really you know high expectations on on our pitching staff. And having a, a group that we, you know, we felt was going to compete from, from day one. We opened the season in New Orleans. We played uh, in a, you know, tough weekend over there at a tournament put by Major League Baseball. We won the first two games. Uh, we ended up losing a close game to uh, Grambling. And, you know, we started we played good baseball, and then we hit that uh, little spot right there when we lost a few games, and, and we started making some mistakes. Uh, we weren't throwing enough strikes. Uh, so we already through 20, you know, 26, 25 games, we've been through the through the ups and downs. Uh, but I like this club. Uh, you know, we won three out of the last four games, and we made one error in the last four games. So we're making adjustments as we go. But I, I like this club. I like our, how athletic we are. Our pitching has uh, has gotten better. We're throwing a little more strikes, and and we're playing better defense. So, you know, I I, I continue to stand by how I felt earlier in the year. I like the club, and we're just we have been competing, and I I think we're going to continue to do that.
1: Yeah, you know, to a little bit to that point. Um, You know, you had North Alabama at home. They're sort of making and I think in college baseball, you know, when you have good players, a lot of good players play at all kinds of levels, whether it's D1, D2, Juco. I mean, you got guys that get drafted in major league baseball that come straight out of high school. My point being, you lose that game to North Alabama eight to one. Uh, on Tuesday, and then you bounce back and beat Jacksonville State, a good ball club, nine to five. Can you speak to being able to bounce back against a good Jacksonville State team after a tough loss to North Alabama the day before?
2: Well, let me tell you this. I'll answer it this way: North Alabama is a team that is making the transition right now to to Division One. They're going to play in the A Sun. But the first and the first thing that I will tell you that is that their record does not indicate really what type of team they are. That's the team that, uh, as we were going through the scouting reports and things like that, they have played everybody in close games. And they came in here, and they played phenomenal baseball. They flat-out beat us, and I got no excuses to make. They played better than us. And I was, you know, uh, asking myself, you know what, this is not a 3-and – at that point, they were 3-and-17, I believe. But they located every spot that the pitchers threw – Every pitch they threw, they, they ran the bases good. They execute the game plan and they flat out beat us. And it shows the beauty of this game that if you have to, you have to come up ready to play every day. And then we, you know, we bounced back and beat a, a, a very good Jacksonville state team. Um, and it's just, like I said, it's just baseball during the, the stretch of the season. A lot of things happen. And it was one of those things that I do give a lot of credit to what North Alabama was able to do when they came here. We didn't kill ourselves. They just played better than us, but we were able to to bounce back against the, you know against Jacksonville State.
1: Hold the line for me one second, Coach Vasquez. We're talking with Alabama State head baseball coach Jose Vasquez. More on the other side.
3: Mommy, where are we going? To the grocery store, honey. Oh, goody, Mommy. Can we buy an original bag of Marjorie's beef jerky? Of what? An original bag of Marjorie's beef jerky. It's really good, Mommy. Dad let me try some, and I couldn't help myself, and I ate it all, and I was hoping that you could, like, help me replace it before he comes home from work. Why would you eat all of Dad's beef jerky? Mommy, I couldn't help myself. Marjorie's beef jerky is so good, and Daddy says it's good for you. Well, it sounds like we had better buy two bags to avoid this from happening again. Thanks, Mom. Marjorie's Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky on the planet.
1: You can also purchase Marjorie's Beef Jerky online at Marjorie'sBeefJerky.com. That's Marjorie'sBeefJerky.com or call them toll free 844-340-7613. Marjorie's Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky on the planet.
0: From the press box to press row and box to row.com, your HBCU sports leader. We're back.
1: We're continuing the conversation with Alabama State head baseball coach Jose Vasquez as he joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. The weekend series that you had um, last weekend against Jacksonville State, you dropped the first game uh, for 11 to 4, but... And, and again, you were on the road, so it's some tough games, obviously, away from your friendly confines. But again, speak to coming back. I mean, yeah, the win against Jacksonville State is a good win, but the wins are the two out of three. Taking two out of three from Jackson State is more important for conference play. So talk about, again, bouncing back this time against a Eastern Division opponent in Jackson State.
2: You know what? I was extremely proud of, of the way we played uh, last weekend. Losing the first game of a conference series, uh, is never easy because, uh, it can, it can really and easily dictate how your weekend is going to go. We didn't play very good on Friday at Jackson. Uh, we made some mistakes. Uh, we made a comeback and then we kind of let the game go, go away in the sixth inning and just couldn't come back after that after they kind of uh, blew it open a little bit, but, uh, you know, just came back, had a great outing. I have a senior on, uh, that throwing on Saturdays that, uh, came back from Tommy John surgery and he's, uh, 100% now Darren Kelly. And he, he took over on Saturday when, uh, eight complete innings, you know, one run, just an outstanding performance and basically lifted us up to, to, you know, even the series and then, on Sunday, every time that you that you play on Sunday, especially in conference play, is a championship day. So we were able to battle, and and it was great baseball once again. We know we made four errors on Friday, and then we didn't make an error on Saturday, and we didn't make an error on Sunday. So you know, I continue to preach that to the guys: as long as we throw strikes and, and play good defense for our pitchers, we're going to find ourselves in, in every game, and that's what we did Saturday and Sunday. We're able to come out with the with a serious win against, uh, obviously, a very good Jackson State uh, team that is always competing for, you know, for the championship and the swag.
1: Jose Vasquez is the head baseball coach at Alabama State. He joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Coach Vasquez, how much emphasis do you put? I know you're trying to win every game, but how much emphasis do you put on those midweek games as opposed to the Swat games, which of course take place uh, on the the weekend, just kind of talk to us a little bit about that, and you know, sort of your philosophy in throwing some of your best guys, maybe not so much in the midweek games as opposed to to uh, as opposed to the weekend games against Swat opponents.
2: I got you. Well, you know, the, the way that we approach our season, I wanna I wanna be able to be uh, as a as a head coach and as a staff, we wanna be able to be in every game uh, that we play in you know it doesn't matter who we play uh midweek games uh conference games we want to be able to to be in the game and have an opportunity to win them once we you know once we get into conference play uh it, it does become a priority to save your best arms and to and to make sure that those guys are healthy and fresh when you hit conference play so you do put a little bit more emphasis on on uh you know on those weekend games we, are, we play in a league right now that, uh, you know, when you play in, in the swag as of right now, it's a one-team uh, league, meaning that only one team is going to make it to the postseason. So we're just trying to, to better our chances to, to position ourselves in a, in a good situation when we get to the conference tournament. And absolutely, I think you, you do manage the game a little different. Sometimes you have to leave guys a little longer, especially with the arms. And you have to save your arms for the weekend, the relievers, because you don't know how many you're going to have to use during the weekend. But uh, it's definitely uh, you, you manage the game a little different on the on the midweek games than you do on the on the weekends, because you once you start conference play, you concentrate uh, more on those conference weekends. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, no doubt. But can I throw this little caveat at you? For instance, if you look at. You know, if we're looking at the teams, the HBCU teams, you look at a North Carolina A&T the other day that beats a nationally ranked South Carolina team. If you had a team that was nationally ranked and, you know, you want to show what you can do the best way you can. Right. So don't you wouldn't you? I mean, does it give you more incentive perhaps to maybe change it up a little bit and and really try to go out and beat that nationally ranked team?
2: Well, you know, I think I think what happens when you when you put yourself in a situation to beat a national, you know, uh, ranked team and, and things like that. I think it's all it's more of uh, how good it is for the program. You know, okay. it brings a lot of recognition. I know A and T, and I know uh, Ben Hall is it, awesome that he was able to beat South Carolina. But it's only uh, you put the icing on the cake if you do t- if take care of the weekend series that he has coming up. It's awesome to beat South Carolina. I think the alumni, his alumni, uh, is extremely proud of what the program and uh, did and how far it has gone. But as a head coach, once again, you it's awesome that you did that. It brings a lot of recognition. It's good for the program. It's good for the kids, something that they will remember. But at the end of the day, uh, I bet you that he's probably still uh, more concerned about Uh, winning the conference game so once again he can he can be in a good position when he gets to the conference uh tournament for the conference tournament
1: sure jose vasquez is the head baseball coach at alabama state joins us here on the program of course the hornets 14 and 13 on the season they have a weekend series on the road against mississippi valley state let's talk personnel i mean when i look at some of the numbers and i look at your team as a whole um from an offensive standpoint you're batting 272 but you got some players that are really hitting the baseball re- well, that are driving in some runs. Kind of talk about some of the key players from an offensive and batting perspective.
2: Well, it, four guys. I, four guys come into into my mind right away. I got Noel new which is leading the team in uh, in every category: uh, hitting, um, RBIs, stolen bases. Uh, actually second in hitting you know he has three home runs 35 rbis i believe he's in the top five or top ten in the nation in that category and he has 13 stolen bases uh along with playing an outstanding center field for us getting a lot of looks from scouts and he's a you know he's a leader he's a senior he's a leader he has done things the right way and we're extremely excited about the year that he's having uh I had jamil pagan which is my left fielder you know he's a Hitting in the leadoff spot, and he's hitting 346 with five home runs and and 23 RBIs from that leadoff uh, spot with with 23 walks and also eight out of nine for stolen bases. So those are you know those are my key guys, and I have my second baseman and my catcher. Uh, I got Eric White that's having a great year, um, hitting 339 with two home runs and 24 RBIs, playing an outstanding. Uh, Defensive second baseman, and uh, and uh, my last guy, but never you know, not least is Santiago Garcia, which is my starting catcher, and is a guy that has caught every uh, the 27 games that we play. He's caught every single game so far, and he's hitting 294 with four home runs and 29 RBIs, fielding at a 996 with just one error, and that to me is impressive. To you know, uh, to be so. You know, steady and durable, you know, so far. So I, uh, I'm i very happy with, with those four guys. They're basically, you know, leading the ball club in, in all those offensive categories. And we just got to get the guys that either hit in front of them to, to get on base. So hopefully those guys can be on those key situations whenever we need them.
1: And, and can you lastly expound a little bit more on Darren Kelly? I mean, you talked about, I mean, he had the injury last year, but he was leading the nation with 41 strikeouts before the injury. This kid has an ERA of .87 in his 3-0 uh, on the season, mowing guys down with 34 strikeouts. Let's talk a little bit more about him and how key he's going to be. Not only has he been to this point, but how key he's going to be over the course of the season.
2: Well, you know, uh, we got to go back a little bit with Darren. He when when the injury happened last year, he was leading the nation in strikeouts. He had 43 strikeouts in 20 innings at the time of the injury. And it was unfortunate that he had the injury. We we had the surgery right away, and he's worked extremely hard you know, to be in a situation that that he is right now. And obviously, uh, we started the year and everything, every outing has been, uh, based on pitch counts. So we started with 32 pitches at first outing and then we went up to 44. Then the next outing was to 57. So, and he's been outstanding every time that he, uh, that he, you know, had gotten the baseball in his hands. And then little by little we have extended him and then we went through 72 pitches and then his last outing. I believe he threw, it was 89 pitches. So every time it's just monitoring the pitch count and, and he's been economical when it comes to, to throwing a lot of strikes. And I mean, right now those, those stats are, are impressive, especially from a guy that, that, uh, just had the surgery, uh, five days ago is actually a one year anniversary of, you know, one year to the date of him having the, the surgery. And here he is right now with 31 innings. 34 strikeouts, 7 walks and pitching at a 0.87. So it just uh you know I got to give him credit. He's an awesome kid, awesome family and he's worked extremely hard to be in the situation that it, that he's in. He's the leader of uh, of the pitching staff and it's uh you know it's a good feeling when you have him on the mound and when you say well you go son there's the baseball and basically take us home.
1: Awesome. Mississippi Valley State is the opponent for Alabama State this weekend. The Hornets are going to be on the road taking on the Delta Devils. In his third season as the head baseball coach at Alabama State is Jose Vasquez joins us here. I'm from the press box to press row. Coach Vasquez, always great to catch up with you. Continued success to you and the Hornets.
2: Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. I know you do an excellent job, man. So I I appreciate the time and go Hornets.
1: Thank you for coming on, Coach Vasquez, Jose Vasquez, the head baseball coach at Alabama State. And interestingly enough, the weekend series is against Mississippi Valley State. When that game or that series was played in Montgomery back about mm, almost a month ago or so, Mississippi Valley State was semi-competitive. But of course, ultimately the Hornets won two out of three, and that's what the Hornets have been able to do—two out of three in these weekend series. And if you can do that, I mean, they did it against Jackson State, they did it against Alabama A&M, and if they can continue to do that, then they're going to win the Eastern Division. But it's one of those deals in the SWAC tournament where any—it's anybody's ball game—the SWAC tournament so competitive i mean you look at times when maybe alabama state should have won it or jackson state should have won it and they ultimately did not so it's going to be another competitive swag tournament we got plenty more to play up next here on from the press box to press row mike wallace senior editor of grind city media after this small pause for the cause let's talk some nba here on from the press box to press row got a Got my main man on the line to do it. As a matter of fact, Mike Wallace is the senior editor of Grind City Media. You got to check him out online at GrindCityMedia.com. Grind City Media does so many things. They cover every, you know, Mike's into the whole food scene there in Memphis. So he's doing that. He's got the NBA, been had the NBA on lockdown for over 10 years. College football, HBCU football's got the whole gamut covered. What's going on, Mike?
4: Hey man, hey, you, you just reminded me a little bit of everything, man, but it's always good to be working. It's good to be grinding. And, uh, now as the weather starts to cooperate, man, it's good to be hitting spring right now and, uh, and heading towards the NBA playoffs in the, uh, in the offseason for sure.
1: No question, man. I mean, we're, we're right upon the NBA playoffs. I want to start here. I know we talked with you about a, a month ago. Your MVP, who, who is your MVP right now?
4: Man, and it changes, D. So again, we, we're going from back and forth and back and forth. I've been going back and forth between, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo in Milwaukee and James Harden, uh, in Houston. Um, Nurkic, uh, is starting to make a little bit of a headway because Denver is right there. Um, and you sort of look at what, you know, Steph Curry and, and, you know, Kevin Durant are doing too. I mean, it's, it's one of those situations where I think to, to, today, today, as we speak at this moment right now, um I'm going to go with Giannis Kumpo because they're the best team. Uh, You know, Milwaukee's the best team with the best record. You know, they, they've been able to win and dominate from coast to coast, uh, from start to finish, and he's the best player on the best team, and he's doing it with some historical efficiency with the way he's playing, and he's doing it as a dominant force on both sides of the basketball. So that, that pretty much puts him a little bit ahead of James Harden, uh, who's been on a, a record tear of his own. But, but Houston has sort of been up and down. You know what I mean? Um, I, 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 it's, it's, I don't know which team has the better supporting cast because when you look at Chris Paul, you know, I'm almost willing to say Chris Paul. Uh, and when you look at, uh, you know, the, the guys at Houston, uh, Eric Gordon, um, uh, Clint Capella, and some of those guys, uh, I, it's, it's debatable whether, you know, Houston has a better supporting cast versus the supporting cast Giannis has in Milwaukee with the Chris Middleton who's certainly uh, an all-star guy. Um, but but when you look beyond that, they're doing it with role players and they've had some injuries of late, and yet they still maintain that top spot in the East. So as of right now today, I'm going with Giannis.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think it's a, I think it's an outstanding point. When of course the Bucks and you know Houston went head to head, and it, the thing. You know, with respect to Giannis, can you sort of speak to, because you've seen him, you know, this little bit of time that he's been in the league, but his game has grown exponentially. And right now, I mean, I was watching him the other night. This guy is virtually unstoppable.
4: Oh, yeah. No question about it. I mean, when you talk about, you know, with the way that he can, the only thing that he doesn't have is, is a consistent jump shot. And he's working on that right now. And, you know, he doesn't have to get to his jump shot. You know, he can he can go, he can create tempo, he can grab the rebound and go coast to coast. Uh, he's an excellent passer. Um, he played point guard for them, you know, last year when he had to. Now he's shifted back to being the finisher more so than anything else. Um, he's just doing everything. And in a lot of ways, he's playing at a level uh, sort of like LeBron played in terms of style. Uh, I remember talking to Coach David Fisdale, who coaches the New York Knicks now. Uh, he was an assistant in Miami uh during those runs when the big three were there with Miami uh, with LeBron, Dwayne and Chris Bosch. Uh, and then he also stopped in Memphis for a season and a half. And and I remember Fisdale telling me we were in Milwaukee at a shoot around preparing to play uh the Bucks a couple years back. And he said, Man, I never thought that I would say this as quickly as I am, but I never thought I'd see another player come along that strikes the kind of fear in your heart as a coach when he hits the open court. Like Giannis, and, and the last guy I said that about was LeBron, and I thought I wouldn't see another guy do that for quite some time. And Giannis is right there right now, and that was two years ago. So imagine what Giannis has done since then.
1: Yeah, the Bucks. I mean, I think it's a great point when you talk about the Bucks, and I think, I mean, I, I I tend to agree with you with respect to the Bucks cast uh, of players, and then also Houston. I mean, I think Milwaukee's right there, if not if not more so. If the playoffs were to begin today, the Bucs and Orlando would match up. But how do you think ultimately the Bucs can make it to the NBA Finals and make a nice run, at least in the uh, in the playoffs?
4: You know what, I, I don't I don't see any reason why they can't. You know, I mean, this is a team that's been consistent all year long. They've been the most consistent team in the NBA. I mean, we've seen, you know, uh, Golden State sort of have some, some slides and some, some stretches where they had losing records over the course of a 10-game stretch. You know, we've certainly seen, you know, Denver go up and down. You know, we've seen Houston do that. You know, in in the East, Boston has been all over the place. Toronto has been pretty consistent, but not as consistent as Milwaukee, which is why they haven't been able to catch them in the standings. Um, You know, and some other teams have had, you know, some downs and far more downs and ups and and sort of been sort of middle class. But I think Milwaukee, once you get into the playoffs, they defend at a level where it gives them a chance. Um, Mike Budenhoser, who's Milwaukee's coach, took that 60-win Atlanta team into the playoffs almost every year. I mean, they had one of the longest streaks seven straight years of being a playoff team. So he knows what it's like to take a team into the first round and the second round. He knows some of the pitfalls that they could potentially face. So can they get all the way to the finals? Usually you don't see a team go from uh, uh, getting eliminated in the first and second round or the first round or the second round, then jump all the way to the NBA finals. Usually it takes a couple years to get up to that level, losing the conference finals and then finally to overtake somebody. But with LeBron shifting focus and shifting conferences, um, that opens up the door for everybody in the East uh, to sort of take a step that they hadn't really taken before. So I do think that they have what it takes to get there. I think Giannis is getting the respect as a player from officials uh, that will allow him to get late crutch uh, opportunities at the free throw line and if they can shoot the basketball from the three-point range the way that they've been shooting it for the most part this season with Brooke Lopez and some of the other guys, Chris Middleton, um yes, I, I, I clearly think that they can either knock off Boston or Toronto. If you ask me right now, I think 1-2 is going to go chalk in the East with Toronto and Milwaukee meeting in the Eastern Conference Finals.
1: That the voice of Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media. Follow him on Twitter at MyMikeCheck. He joins us here. I'm from the Press Box to Press for Mike, you, I mean, you got to help me out with something here. I look at the Grizzlies, and I look at them over the last couple of weeks. I look at a win against the Trailblazers. I look at a win against the Magic. I realize the Magic aren't great, but at the end of the day, they would make the playoffs if the playoffs started today. And I look at a win against the Rockets. But then I look at losses against the Hawks, the Wizards, and a win against the Jazz, excuse me, the Hawks, the Wizards, some of these low. Team. So, what's what's I know they faced a lot of injuries. What's the deal with the Grizzlies right now?
4: You know, when you look at what they've done in March, I mean, they've been a different team. Uh, this is a team that going into the game the other night against Golden State, uh, the Grizzlies had won five out of six at home, and those five wins came against all playoff teams. You know, when you look at what they were able to do against Utah, Portland, Orlando, Houston, um, you know, you're talking about in Oklahoma City. Uh, yep. that's as, in terms of being hot. I mean, you know, in March, the team was a, a six and four record at one point. Um, you know, and now that they, as, they, as they're shifting towards, you know, April and, and heading out on this, uh, four game Western conference road trip, um, you know, March was, a was a breakout month or a stabilizing month for the Grizzlies. It was a month of hope, uh, in terms of what they can be. That trade shook up the team. Mark Gasol was the franchise anchor for a decade, a most decorated player in franchise history. Um, you know, but it, the Grizzlies were struggling even before that trade. So the combination of injuries to the supporting cast, the big-time trade that, that sort of shook up the foundation a little bit. Um, and, you know, now you're looking at a team that really could could never get anything going or sustain anything. But if you're going to take away positives from the season for Memphis, it's Mike Conley was able to go coast-to-coast coast, basically, uh, uh, a relatively healthy had the most productive season of his career. He's now a featured type player where if the Grizzlies keep him coming back, um, and build around him with Jonas Valanciunas and, and, you know, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., you have, uh, the skeleton and the bones of a potential playoff team in the West, uh, with, with relative health. So I, I think that's what derailed him. Um, but I, I also don't think that they're that far away from being back in that mix. Uh, for one of the playoff spots in the West next year.
1: You know, on Wednesday night, you had a chance to see the Warriors, of course, the Grizzlies losing to the Warriors in that game. But, I mean, Kevin Durant, unbelievable in that game, 12 of 13 from the field, absolutely dominating. Uh, has Go- yeah. Is Golden State hit you know, we? it's one of those deals that people say, well, they're not interested and they lose games they shouldn't lose and all that kind of stuff. But, are you know, do you feel like Golden State is hitting its stride right now as they get ready for the uh, for the playoffs?
4: i think they're finding it. I think you know the key is that you know draymond Green is healthy um you know demarcus cousins is is on that uh minutes management load management program um he's still not hundred percent he probably won't get hundred percent this off season. He'll get probably closer to uh you know to, if he if he's seventy five percent then that, that's as much as you can expect. Kevin Durant uh just shot the best game of his career. Uh that game you're referring to, you know, against the Grizzlies on Wednesday. He was twelve or thirteen from the field. And I sat right there in the courtside, one row uh behind where he was shooting at. And and, and as a sidebar, D, you know, we, we, we often talk about, you know, you remember last month where the athletes, uh Russell Westbrook had the altercation with the fan and the fan ended up getting barred and you know, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving came out and and has some things to say about how they're covered by the media and some of the things that they get caught up into. Well, Kevin Durant was at that – in the midst of that game, a fan heckled him from the second or third row. It wasn't anything out of line. It was, you know, a basic home fan saying, you know, uh, you're overrated or something along those lines. And, And Durant stopped as he was checking in, looked back at the fan, and the fan had already moved on. Like the fan said, overrated, overrated, or whatever it was, and then started sipping his beer and went on, you know, talking to his wife or whoever was with him, Kevin Durant reignited the conversation, said, hey, man, hey, man, listen, uh, I don't come to your job, you know, disrupting you while you're at work. You know I mean? He said, I'm an artist. This is what I do. This is my work. This is my job. Let me do me. Let me do me. Mm. And, I mean, he went on this little, you know, uh, probably about a 15-second, 20-second, you know, it wasn't angry. It was just a, a – it was It was focused. And he got it off his chest. And I'm sitting there thinking, dude, check into the daggone game, (laughs) bro. You don't have to worry about this clown, man. Just go ahead and check into the game. But it's one of those things where these athletes are so sensitive to everything that's said and everything that's done, everything that's written. They have rabid ears. At some point, focus on what you're supposed to do. The fans are there to be fanatics. They can't cross the line. But this guy didn't cross the line with anything. He just was being a fan. Kevin Durant was in his feelings, sensitive as he always is. And I love him. Look, he's a suitland homie, uh, suburban Washington, <laughs> D.C. But at the end of the day, man, he's always had this part about him that's been a little bit off-putting because he can never be happy, no matter what it is. He has everything going for him right now, professionally and, and everything else. I don't know what's going on, on his, in his personal life. Obviously, he had a tragic uh, issue with his best friend there, who got killed in Atlanta the other day. Um, but at the, but but so I don't know what he's going through emotionally. But in that instance, uh, he took he was the one that took the escalated the situation with a fan when it wasn't the other way around. But to answer your question, yes, Golden State is capable of doing what they've done for the last three or four years. I wouldn't bet against them. They are a little bit more vulnerable, but I also think it's part of it because they're bored. They just want to get to the playoffs, particularly the conference finals and the NBA finals, so they can flip that switch and be the Warriors that we've seen the last few years.
1: Hold the second, uh, hold the line for me one second, Mike. We're talking with Mike Wallace. Senior editor of Grind City Media here on From the Press Box to Press Row. We're talking NBA more with Mike on the other side.
0: The radio program that's talking sports from New York City to Cali and globally on the World Wide Web. From the Press Box to Press Row continues after this.
3: Mommy, where are we going? To the grocery store, honey. Oh, goody, Mommy. Can we buy an original bag of Marjorie's beef jerky? Of what? An original bag of Marjorie's beef jerky. It's really good, Mommy. Dad let me try some, and I couldn't help myself, and I ate it all, and I was hoping that you could, like, help me replace it before he comes home from work. Why would you eat all of Dad's beef jerky? Mommy, I couldn't help myself. Marjorie's beef jerky is so good, and Daddy says it's good for you. Well, it sounds like we had better buy two bags to avoid this from happening again. Thanks, Mom. Marjorie's Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky on the planet.
1: You can also purchase Marjorie's Beef Jerky online at marjoriesbeefjerky.com. That's marjoriesbeefjerky.com or call them toll free 844 340 7613. Marjorie's Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky on the planet
0: doesn't matter what your sport, he talks your language. It's Donald Ware. From the press box to press row, it's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware.
1: All right, we're talking some NBA with Mike Wallace of Bryan City Media here on From the Press Box. The Press will talked a lot about Golden State, talked a lot about the Memphis Grizzlies on the other side. As we're looking at, uh, you know, we're we're about a couple of weeks away, not even that, from the NBA playoffs. You know, Mike, the the injury to Nurkic of the Trailblazers was absolutely devastating and right now if the playoffs were to begin the trailblazers would match up against the clippers can you speak to how important you know because you look at the trailblazers each and every year man and it seems like they should make these runs they may have the you know arguably the best star uh, the this maybe the second best tandem in terms of guards in the league but how how big is was that injury to Nurkic for the trailblazers moving forward to the playoffs
4: well, I mean, Nurkic is one of the, one of the, one of the better developing bigs uh, that, that we have in this league. I mean, obviously he follows in that line of uh, of European bruising centers. Valanciunas certainly is one for the Grizzlies. Uh, when you look at uh, Jokic, Nikola Jokic uh, for Denver and what Denver, he's done for Denver, you go down to Orlando, uh, Nikola Vucevic, uh, who's doing and has that team in playoff position in Orlando as an All Star, and, and Nurkic is cut from sort of that same cloth. Um, in, in terms of style and how physical he can be. Um, I don't think he's as offensively gifted as the other guys I mentioned, but he certainly can be a, a bruising, uh, rebounding type presence down there. And to lose him, to lose him in that sort of toughness in that back line is going to be a blow because one of the things that Portland has lacked all of these years. I mean, they've had a dynamic and phenomenal backcourt in CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard. Um, uh, but what they hadn't had is a third or fourth player to consistently emerge. Uh, that you can count on night in and night out. And, you know, Mo Harkless has been, uh, a steady guy from a role playing standpoint. Um, you know, when you look at Chief, uh, who's been there, Amino, Chief Amino has been, uh, sort of a two way dynamic player for them. Um, but they've needed that third guy. And, and I think picking up, you know, some of the guys that they've picked up, I mean, a Rodney Hood, uh, it was brought in to sort of help them. Enos Cantor now steps into that role. Myers Leonard has al- always been there. Um, and, and so those guys are going to have to sort of do it collectively, but it's still going to start and finish with the guards. And that's CJ McCollum, Damian Lillard. And oh, by the way, Seth Curry, not Steph. Seth Curry has played a phenomenal season there, um sort of establishing himself as a regular rotation player now in this league. Uh, for a while he had been leading the league in three-point shooting percentage, uh, even ahead of his brother, shooting at a better percentage than his brother, obviously, Steph is a more prolific three-point shooter, but I think they're still dangerous. But I don't know if they're ready to take that next step. But in the East, I mean, in the West, it all is going to depend on matchups. When you look at where they are, from three, four, five, six, Uh, they stay stay in that range right there. Uh, It's going to be a dogfight, no matter who they match up with in the West.
1: Talking with Mike Wallace, the senior editor of Grind City Media, we're talking some NBA here on the program. Let's look at the East a little bit. I want to talk more uh, specifically about the charlotte hornets because i see them trying to make this run they had a really good win um on wednesday but you know they're like a game and a half out right now what what are your thoughts on the hornets do you think they can ultimately get that last playoff spot and do you think that them making the playoffs is is would be tied to kimba walker possibly re-signing with this team next year
4: it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a struggle for Charlotte because right now they're on the outside looking in. Frankly, um, you know they have some work to do. I mean they certainly aren't completely out of the mix. But as we stand right now, I mean you're looking at the six, seven, and eight seeds in the East, all separated by a total of one and a half games. And you know, and then uh, Charlotte is right behind that. Miami's out of the picture at ninth, and then Charlotte's right down there as well. But you know, when you look at uh, how Charlotte has played, they've been disappointing. Um, and, and, and I don't say this in, a, in, a, in an extravagant um, or vicious or malicious way, but they've always – you've been waiting five – it seems like you've been waiting five, six years for them to take the next step. I mean, I remember when they shook it up the first time and brought in Lance Stevenson, uh, and that didn't really work out. Um, even if you go before that, they drafted, um, you know, Michael Key and Gilchrist and tried to really re- re- rework his shot. They brought in Marvin Williams, and, you know, they sort of had that dynamic there. Um, that didn't work they had the Dwight Howard experiment that didn't work they've changed coaches two and three times um, and, and you know Borrego I think is a, is a promising young coach but I don't think he's done anything more for them in terms of figuring out what his rotation needs to be Kimber Walker's carrying a heavy load a very very heavy load and it reminds me a lot of what Anthony Davis has had to do all of these years in New Orleans so you know, for Charlotte's purposes, I love Michael Jordan. I, I love the fact that what he is as it stands for as a businessman, as well as the icon as a player. Um, and I want to see his team succeed. I mean, he's the only African American owner, uh, majority owner we have in this league. So, you know, there's something there for that. Uh, but, but I don't know if, if Charlotte can get over the hump. And when Timber Walker evaluates where he is as a player, um, and, and where he wants to go in terms of taking his career to the next step, I don't know if Charlotte's going to be that place. I know he embraced being the face of the all-star, uh, hosting opportunity that they had there in February. Um, but when you have the Knicks there, that's an opportunity to go back home. They have salary cap space. When you have LeBron James saying, Hey, think about coming out, us out in LA. They need a point guard out there. Um, so that's another situation. So, you know, he's going to have his suitors. Um, I don't think he's going to be the first free agent off the board by any stretch in terms of, uh, the pecking order, but, I think Kimball Walker is going to have to look long and hard about what Charlotte wants to do uh, around him and whether he's going to line back up to, uh, to re-sign with them in, in this summer when he can become a free agent.
1: Yeah. And I, and I'm sure, I mean, in, in it, you, you kind of look at maybe some of the things maybe perhaps last year, maybe even going back a couple of years ago when um, the Hornets were open to trading him. I think the interesting dynamic when you look at the Hornets is that all of the star players, I would say, all. Oh, I, I could be wrong, but the the star players that have been with this franchise, be it the Bobcats or the Hornets, are homegrown players. In other words, they're not getting free agents, so it's incumbent. I mean, like like Charlotte has to re-sign Kimba, right? They,
4: they, from their standpoint, they're probably figuring, look, how, how much more do we want to invest in? And, and it's not against Kimba. It's just economics at this point. If we're going to be the 8th or or the ninth, 10th, 11th seed in the East, um, we probably are better off rebuilding and and reloading up. Remember, they changed GMs. Mitch Kupchick is there now. Um, They have a first-year coach who inherited all of this roster for the most part. Um, They may want to go in a different direction because you don't want to be expensive and mediocre. That's the worst combination to be in the NBA, Um, a a, a cap team uh, pushing up against the luxury tax and not able to make the playoffs. Um, The Grizzlies, unfortunately, are in that position right now. I mean, they're spending a lot of money for a team that's won barely 30 games, Um, and and that's not good economics. I mean, a lot of factors contribute to how you end up there. Nobody aspires to be in that situation. But if you're Charlotte, um, you might might have to go back through through the draft, especially if you have all of your picks, you hadn't made any horrible trades, and you got a a veteran-laden roster with some guys that are towards the end of their career. I mean, Batum is a guy that, you know, I don't know how much more he has left. Um, you know, certainly Tony Parker is on the other end of his career. Kimball Walker is hitting, you know, in the midst of his prime, but he hasn't been enough by himself to over, you know, lift that team up, uh, over the hump. And then when you look inside, uh, there's just not a lot there. They're a mixed bag of, of guys in the post for them, uh, right now in terms of the way that they play. So I don't know if the, if the, if the solution is rebuilding it and, and trying to reload through the lottery. Uh, it might not make sense for Kimball to come back more so than it is for Charlotte to try to keep uh, a, a local star there.
1: And then lastly, Mike, and we appreciate the time, of course, Mike Wallace of Grind City Media talking NBA. Who's a team, uh, whether it's in, in the East or the West, that we're not really talking about, man, that may sneak up on uh, everybody, if you will, in the playoffs?
4: You know it's funny because you know right now you know as you look back over this 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 week that we've had here, um, the Los Angeles Clippers and the Orlando Magic were the two hottest teams in the league this week. Both of them carried at least six game winning streaks uh, through through heading into the weekend. Uh, when you look at what they were able to do, uh, and both of those teams were sort of left for dead. You know, um, Orlando found, fought their way back up into the bottom of the Eastern Conference uh, race, and they're playing their best basketball, especially at home. I think they won, they had won. Uh, five or six games at home straight, um, one of their best home winning streaks since the Dwight Howard heyday back there. Uh, and that they, that included beating Golden State uh to start that winning streak. Then you look over in the West, and the Los Angeles Clippers, look, man, not only did Doc Rivers get a new contract out of this or a contract extension, um, you know, Lou Williams became the all-time career leader uh, in points off the bench uh, in the league, and this was a team that made trades. They traded Tobias Harris, their best player, their all-star caliber player out in order to create salary cap space for free agency. So everybody felt that they were punting on this season, and that sort of galvanized those guys. Um, And speaking of former Grizzlies, I mean, obviously, you know, Garrett Temple went there in the trade, and then also Jermichael Green uh, in the trade that brought the Grizzlies back, Avery Bradley. But So you have a bunch of role players, a bunch of guys with chips on their shoulders, a bunch of guys who feel like they're overlooked, Um, and and they're sort of putting together this magical-type run. And they could be dangerous in the playoffs because you don't want to see the Clippers, uh, especially if they're going to go and come at you the way that they come at you defensively. So those are two teams that I don't think uh, is getting enough, are getting enough attention, uh, but they could be dangerous, upset-minded uh, first-round opponents for top-four seed teams.
1: Again, follow him on Twitter at MyMikeCheck and check him out. Uh, check out all of his great work at GrindCityMedia.com. He is Mike Wallace talking some NBA here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Mike, your insight is always outstanding, man. And we'll talk with you over the next couple of weeks.
4: Hey, all the time. Hey, my pleasure, man. Anytime, dude. You know how we go, man. We go back too far to stop pushing forward now, baby.
1: So certainly a lot happening with the NBA. And we thank Mike Wallace of Grind City Media for breaking it all down for us today here on the program. We've about come to the end of the show today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. I'll tell you what, we'll talk some Final Four next weekend. We'll talk some Final Four next weekend on the program. And, um, you know, I'll tell you what, the uh, the tournament is running hot and heavy. But next weekend, we'll talk some Final Four on from the Press Box to Press Row. Again, thank you to Jose Vasquez, the baseball coach at Alabama State. Also to Mike Wallace of Grind City Media. For joining us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. If you missed last week's show, we had a great show for you last week. Kayla White joined us on the program. Of course, the national champion in the 200 meters. And, uh, we, matter of fact, the podcast. Right now on our website at BoxToRow.com. If you missed that interview or if you missed the entire show from last week, go to our website at BoxToRow.com, and you can either listen to the interview right now or you can download the podcast right now at BoxToRow.com. And always remember to support those that support you. From the Press Box to Press Row is presented by DW Communications.